0: If you hear that background noise, I am recording uh, this week's podcast sitting beside a mountain river right outside of Brevard, North Carolina. I think it's a pretty good place to be today, and I hope you enjoy uh, this week's podcast of Elaboro entitled Minding the Truth. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. This is the reality of many things, but particularly the spiritual truth of Christ. Once you see it, and once you hear it, there's really no turning back, or at least there shouldn't be. I believe there's a story in John chapter 6 that illustrates this concept. John chapter 6 is what I like to refer to as the healthy eating chapter of the Bible. This chapter starts out with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and... This particular incident, this particular occurrence, gives the context for everything else that takes place in the text. And the context is this. At our core, we are hungry people looking and needing to be fed. But as the story shows, our physical hunger isn't our most important appetite. The deep and more elusive hunger in our lives is, a, is spiritual in nature. And its, elus- it's, a, it's elusiveness is directly tied to how we choose, on a daily basis, to fulfill its desires. It's why I must insist and keep on insisting that the nature and tempo of Christianity have both been corrupted, deeply corrupted in a way that is hard to unwrap and unravel. As I've stated before, the nature of Christianity isn't religious, it's transformative. I do not believe in any way that Jesus' intention was to start a new world religion. His intention was much deeper and and much different. It was to set us free from such things, from such constructs, so that we could transform our lives and our mindsets to bring down the numerous divisions and ideologies that keep us from fulfilling the law of God, which is to love. The sacrifice of, of the cross of Christ is not a sacrifice that we continually go back to to find forgiveness for our screw-ups and failures. And if you don't believe me, please reread the entire chapter of Hebrews 10 and we can talk later. But for now, I hope you'll hear and you'll listen to the cross of Christ as a sacrifice that we willingly adopt into our lives as the way to change, evolve, and transform from an old self-protective and self-absorbed nature to a nature that is able to love and love freely. This love occupies our life by being present and available to those around us, and then by extension to the whole world. And this type of transformative view of the faith requires a much, much different approach and a much different tempo, because the approach is daily and the tempo is always right now. This approach eliminates the sacred-secular divide that exists in our everyday walk and mindset the ground we stand upon is always holy ground not because of us but because of the one who seeks residence that is integration within us our faith becomes a moment by moment experience of having our minds shaped and transformed by the orchestration of the moment and the work of our own cross within us i believe this is what galatians 2:20 expresses beautifully i have been crucified with christ and it is, in, it is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is one of the many truths that once you see it and hear it, you can't unsee or unhear it. There is a transforming work within us that is instructing us through grace on how to love God and love others with our whole life. Two weeks ago, I introduced the idea of a neuropsychological link between our brains, our minds, and the pattern of the cross. The fact that our brains function in this cross-like pattern is not at all a coincidence, at least in my estimation. It's something that we need to pay attention to. This pattern that exists within our, our heads, within our skulls, and be aware of how it shapes and forms and transforms our working mindset. It's of critical importance to our overall well-being and the well-being and flourishing of the world around us. Well, which brings us back to the story in John 6. You know, even upon a casual reading of the scriptures, one can't help but pick up on the inextricable link between eating and spiritual health. Let's not forget that it was the partaking, the eating of the tree of knowledge that was forbidden to our spiritual mother and father. Again, that's no coincidence. It seems that the consumption of this fruit is indeed the root cause of our spiritual deficit. And to be fair, the fruit did come with a warning label. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Genesis 216 17 And sure enough, that day arrived, the day that they ate from it, And they brought upon themselves the consciousness, the meaning and futility, frustration of their own life and labor. For the woman, this primarily came in the form of bearing children. And for the man, this came in the form of provision and food. Now, this is not to say that these are the only two ways in which men and women experience meaning and futility. But they are the most common and they are the most universal. Listen once again to the words from Genesis chapter 3. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to Adam, to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall it grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Again, this link between food and spiritual condition is a common and continual three theme throughout the Scriptures. The search for food during times of famine and the migration this search caused. The prohibitions in the Mosaic law about eating different types of animals, no swine, no shellfish, etc. And of course, the trials and tribulations of the children of Israel in the wilderness, their epic need and search for daily sustenance is highlighted in Exodus 17. I won't read the entire chapter, but I do recommend it as a case study in human behavior and how enmeshed we are with physical hunger on many different levels, food only being one of them. It seems that as long as our physical appetites are met, we are more than willing to endure and turn ourselves over to many forms of spiritual bondage. The Israelites lamented time after time that they would have been better off dying in Egypt as slaves. At least they would have been fed. So fast forward to John chapter 6 and Jesus looks out and surveys his current iteration of of the children of Israel and you know what, not much changed. They are all still largely just a group of hungry people. Gathered in a large crowd with the feast of Passover, perhaps only days away, Jesus takes this opportunity to reveal the deep spiritual link between physical subsidence and our spiritual health. And it is not at all something the people are ready to hear. That Jesus chose to feed their physical hunger is significant in that it is necessary to introduce the deeper truth and reality of life and living. Their reaction to being fed physically is equally significant in that it betrays their physical appetites, needs, motivations, and desires for following Jesus. They literally wanted to keep the gravy train going, and to that end they would have made him king, whether he wanted to be king or not. But Jesus escapes this suspicious coronation and withdraws in isolation from the people and also his disciples. After a miraculous journey to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, involving Jesus walking above the water, another mindset lesson for a future podcast, the people follow Jesus onto the other side, proving that their searching need for physical food and sustenance is strong and unyielding. And so is ours. And this is when Jesus drops the truth bomb on them. The setup is complete. Jesus has captured them in his web. He begins this difficult teaching. Truly, truly, I tell you, it is not because you saw these signs that you are looking for me, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that perishes, but instead work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him, God the Father, has placed His seal of approval. Subsequently, there is a back-and-forth exchange between Jesus and the people that can essentially be reduced to these two perspectives, the people's perspective, Jesus, if you'll only keep feeding us, we'll keep following and believing just like our fathers and mothers did. And the perspective of Jesus, if I keep feeding you, you'll die just like your forefathers and mothers did. Instead, Jesus describes the bread of heaven, the manna that was given to their fathers and mothers in the wilderness as the precursor to the real bread that had come down and was before them, a bread that was sent to give life to the world. And of course, not having a clue of understanding, the people asked for this bread. Give us this bread at all times. They were not at all prepared for his response. I am this bread. It is a mind-blowing concept for the people hearing it for the first time. Jesus literally turns the idea of eating upside down and sideways. At the core of the teaching... And again, I highly recommend you go and read the entire chapter or these verses. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your fathers who ate the manna and died, the one who eats this bread will live forever. As I read this chapter in these particular verses, I can't help but smile. Thinking about how disconcerting it must have been to hear these words for the first time. Drink my blood, eat my flesh. How repulsive and how preposterous. And yes, taken literally, it is. But then Jesus adds this key to unlock the entire story. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this teaching, Jesus asked them, does this offend you? Then what will happen if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. The flesh profits nothing. In other words, we will never understand these words or find a deep appreciation for them within the physical appetites and spaces in which we hunger, dwell, and occupy. To genuinely partake of this nourishment, the nourishment that these words offer, we must, we must open our spiritual eyes and ears and go deeper. We must see these appetites and spaces for what they are, the physically limiting curses placed upon us to constantly remind us of our spiritual hunger and thirst. They are literally pointing us to the real food, the real drink, and the real life. No doubt there are ways to enjoy and appreciate every physical appetite that we possess, but we can and will be carried away by them if we don't allow the development and the maturity of spiritual sight and hearing to regulate, calibrate, and ultimately transform us into the new creation and image of God. It is no coincidence that our spiritual health and wellness, perhaps the most ignored and neglected part of our life, At best, those who are spiritually attuned attend to their spiritual health once or twice a week, maybe even a few minutes per day in devotional reading. And this may sound more critical than I mean it to be, but these meager attempts don't even begin to prepare us for the spiritual battles and arenas we will find ourselves in on a daily basis. Our lack of true spiritual food and our lack of a true spiritual mindset integration keep us malnourished for the most significant challenges that we face. And our malnutrition makes us spiritually angry and unfit, unable to love as we must, as we are commanded to love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected within us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world." That's from 1 John chapter 4. Coming to a deep knowledge and understanding of the sacrificial nature of the love of God is the entire and ultimate goal of the daily cross that we carry upon us. And I believe this cross is primarily and practically formed within our brains. As we learn, grow, and pay attention to how we react in any given situation, we begin to practice the full integration of the cross into our minds and into our mindset towards life and living. We begin to transform with greater access and ability to live, value, and embrace the world around us. We learn the advice of Paul to take every thought captive and make it subject to the cross. Every moment, every situation, and every circumstance is an opportunity to grow and transform into this mindset and this creation that is tempered and prepared to love and love well no matter how big or small no matter how little much or little it costs no matter how serious or silly each moment we embrace the transforming work of the cross in our own minds the more that new the more this new nature takes hold in our lives and the more we can obey its radically life-altering new energy and bandwidth We literally can begin walking according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. And it is remarkable to look at all of this through the science and discipline of neuropsychology. The top to bottom, right to left functions of our brain are a fascinating study of how mindset is both developed and damaged through our own embrace and recognition of the mental and emotional appetites in our life. Just as we are physical creatures with physical needs, We will never see ourselves as loving, flourishing participants in the world if we only recognize and embrace the physical aspects of our life. But this is where our reptilian lower brain would keep us if we set it as our default calibration. And make no mistake, many people have done exactly that. The reptilian fight or flight, the I, me, my brain is set on survival at all costs. And while survival is important, to be stuck in this mindset leads to a cold, scaly, unavailable life that strikes out at others when frightened or threatened. It requires the top function of the brain that filters the fear and and threat and brings reason and order to the raw emotion and anger. It's this function that regulates our moral behavior in that we probably know it won't end well if we run that person off the road who happened to cut us off in traffic, the better response would be to ignore this light. This regulation happens from our top-to-bottom brain function. But even this function isn't enough to make us like or see being cut off in traffic as an opportunity to reflect the love of God. For that, we must also add the integration of the right and left hemispheres of our brain. The function of these two hemispheres is captured in the biblical admonition to be wise as serpents the left hemisphere and gentle as doves the right hemisphere and i think it's important to say here that the faith the integrated faith isn't a surrender to naivety it's not a abandonment of mental faculty to, that refuses to see the corrupt nature of things for what it is what it does do is choose to overcome the corruption with good instead of evil Together, the two hemispheres work simultaneously to develop response, reaction, and strategy to our mindset. Our temperament and offering within our journey and the many confrontations and opportunities that presented become opportunities and confrontations to show and exhibit the love of Christ. As we become more disciplined in this regard and more attuned to this work and this process, we can actually become aware of opportunities and confrontations before they happen and we can plan accordingly we begin to integrate the body of christ and the functions of the body of christ into our lives the roles and the functions that are outlaid in the new testament in the two new testament writings of paul the five-fold functions of the body to be an apostle or a guardian over the faith to be a prophet or a counselor to those in need to be an evangelist an encourager to those who are caught in fear, to be a a pastor, a comforter to those who are uh, suffering, and to be a teacher, one who can instruct those in the instruction of grace. These five things become the markers and functions of the body of Christ. It's sad to think, though, that these roles have become offices or titles. It's a disturbing work of religiosity and fleshly appetite. No, 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 these are functions of the body of Christ that are desperately needed for the the body of Christ to gain health and wellness once again. We need people functioning as apostles and guardians, prophets and counselors, evangelists and encouragers, pastors, comforters, teachers and instructors. It's the only way forward in this very, very difficult world. This is the practical and pragmatic work of the cross in daily life and living. To develop and mature us to be part of the occupying movement of the kingdom of God and I know it's a lot to take in which means I'm at that place in the podcast where I simply have to stop there's indeed much more to say about this and I will look forward to offering it to you later but let me leave you with this may the spiritual understanding of the body and the blood of Christ be the daily meal from which you willingly partake may it challenge, change, and transform you into a person of deep love and deep embrace. The table is set. The meal is prepared. Eat and drink deeply of his life and love. And once again, thank you for listening to this podcast of Enlabro.